0: On today's episode of Gathering the Kings.
1: I think that's the hard part of, especially when you get with entrepreneurs and they have employees and you hear like a laundry list of problems or like excuses. Sure. And those of us on the other side of it are like, dude, no excuses, man. We all have our little compartment of Uh these are my excuses that when (laughs) stuff doesn't go the right way. Uh Uh-huh. Pull out that drawer. Let me. The box here. Yeah. I think. That's maybe human nature to a certain extent, and I think the difference is how you have that conversation with yourself, as to if you're really going to accept this as an excuse or if you're just using it to outwardly comfort yourself for other people. Yeah.
0: You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. Well, what's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. Today, I've got Robert Word, like Word Up. What's up, dude? How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate that, that ability to to throw in the Word Up. or As you said off-air, Word to your mama. Yeah. I haven't heard that one in a minute, but thanks for giving me that permission. Robert, tell us what kind of business you got, brother.
1: <clears throat> I have a... I guess I expand it now and I call it a sheet metal business. Technically, we are a gutter installation company in Charleston, South Carolina. Love it. So, it's you know, we're actually a one trick pony for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. That's
0: hey, a lot of guys, gals, businesses that are doing what they know they're good at and they know how to service those clients call it a one trick pony, call it ultra focus. I, I think they fit in the same category.
1: <laughs> that's actually, that's I've turned it into a selling point simply because I can say it's out of most specialty contractors, this is the only thing we do. So if it's the only thing we do, we better be really good at it. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, you're. if they're dealing with you, they're dealing with the best by far. Um, exactly- Robert, I want to know, before we kind of get into the story, how you got into business, all that kind of fun stuff, you're at this level of success. And this is my first question to all my guests. Why are you doing this, man? And maybe a secondary question already that I'm going to ask you is, why still are you doing it knowing that you've had this level of success? You could just sail off
1: into the sunset. I think success is maybe relative. When I started it, I just, I wanted to eat. (laughs) I quit a job and just cranked it out out of my garage and was just hoping, oh man, maybe I can fill my calendar with it. And And then the target keeps moving. And every time... What was the goal maybe last year is we've surpassed it. And I think the saying that I've always lived by is a man's reach should exceed his grasp. And so every time the businesses move forward and it evolves, it's the moment you realize that you've grown up is the moment you realize like growing up doesn't actually feed, you know, there's no certain point. It's every time we've moved forward, i push the, we've pushed the marker a little bit further forward. And to be perfectly frank with you, We hit a bunch of failure points and take a step back and correct the failure point. And when that corrects, it's like, oh, I don't, I I love the process. Um, It's the challenge that gets me out of bed every day. It's the solving the problems. It's learning how to deal with people. It's, it's making mistakes and getting better. I just, I don't know. I love the whole thing.
0: Yeah. All of the things that you just said, all the little nuggets, all the little uh, moments of the process, just oozes out of you because I can tell you that you love it because that's what just rolled right off your tongue there. There's a lot of guys that say legacy. A lot of guys that say I'm driven. I want more. And you said all those things too, but you said it in a way of, I like the mechanics. I like the toil really. And the toil doesn't have to be the like physically doing the installation necessarily. But I hear you saying that, like that you're almost like when you said you, you, when you matured, what happened to my brain was it, you matured to that point, but then it, it, you realize it was just the new beginning. It was just, I just got to a point where it's like, ah, I'm now enlightened to the beginning of what's yet to come now. It's because you couldn't yeah, see that before. It's
1: always a hindsight vision. It's, oh, so this is what being an adult is. I, 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 it's <laughs> the same thing in business. Like, oh, so this is what it's like to run a business with employees. And And I think even for us, we're still small and this is still a relatively new venture. We're about five years old. Like I got a laundry list of things I can tell you that we're still doing terribly wrong. What started as me solving these problems is now roped into like our management team solving these problems and teaching everybody to get on board with the process to, to figure out just how to make us better. Yeah. You know, what went from me being trying to be the master and the expert in everything is now trying to be the expert in how to parlay that knowledge and really to bring everybody else into the jet stream, if you will. Yeah. I love that.
0: We're going to definitely going to get into that. Cause I think that you're not only are you're sharing what's important to the listener, but you're living it. You're going through it right now and have been. So I think that's super applicable for the listener. Tell me how you got started. Did you get, were you raised in a entrepreneurial
1: home? Like, how, Like, why did you start a business, bro? So I started my, I like to say my first life was baseball. I played baseball at University of Virginia and uh, spent a couple of years in minor league ball. And I basically singularly focused my life towards that. Yeah. And the moment that ended, I was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> what am I going to do now? And I think. Part of the characteristic of getting to a certain level of success, and that is like you really start to embrace the risk as well right. as like totally embrace the failure side of it. Yeah. Baseball is a sport where you fail regularly. So when baseball ended, I spent 10 years searching for like my adult job and I did everything from, <laughs> I was running fitness facilities. I, I helped start a baseball school in Virginia and then- wow. I start, I was a financial advisor for a short period of time thinking. I think we all were. (laughs) True. Yeah, Um, we all did that. (laughs) But then really my entrepreneurial journey, probably the cornerstone of it is I got out of baseball and I really liked playing music. i always wanted to be a musician. And so I had all this time on my hands and I went back to college. So I got drafted early and went back for my senior year of college to graduate and then did grad school. And I started playing music then. And went from just being, you know, I like to call it strumming McStrumberson, like the, the campfire guy knowing a couple chords to uh, I put this band together that was so far above my skill level. Wow. And I was like, just with anything, how do you make yourself indispensable? So I decided I'd manage it. <laughs> yeah. Um, while I was playing in it because I was like, you know what, if I'm doing all the work on that side of it, they can't kick me out. They need me. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. There, making I'm making myself valuable. I'm the one pushing the gig. And, and, and I locked myself in my room. And woodshedded so they wouldn't know that I was bad. And then spent a lot of that time promoting a band from scratch and starting and building a promotion and then going to club owners and trying to book gigs. Like that was a heck of a way to cut my teeth. And I I didn't really look at it that way at the time that, you know, oh, this is my entrepreneurial journey. But looking back on it now, like, you know, it's very similar in business. There is, these very strict kind of rules that you have to survive by in order for the business to exist. But then there's this huge creative side of it that you know, that the business can ruin if you let it. I learned that skill of keeping the business and the creative side marginally separate, but that was my first foray into it. And I've had a corporate job that I just wasn't really thrilled about. And I actually quit one day full of risk. My wife was nine months pregnant, had all the insurance on our corporate insurance. My wife is like, we're like yin and yang. She's zero risk. I'm like 100% risk. Uh-huh. And I just quit my job and she was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'm a cat. I'll land on my feet. <laughs> yeah. And had a gutter machine and gutter trailer from part of the job that I was working before. It was an investment that I thought I was going to be able to capitalize on in a different way. Yeah. Turned around and hooked it to my truck and just started, started hustling. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think it, that story, first off, is just so relatable to a lot of entrepreneurs where it just, you just stumbled into it. But if you look back, like you said, the DNA of an entrepreneur has always been there. And it sounds like a lot of those maybe disciplines were formed in baseball. And then just the idea mindset of working through failure. I think that I never played baseball, but like, I want, I think I want my kids to play baseball for that reason, specifically that reason. The fact that you literally have to experience failure every single day.
1: You're an (laughs) all-star if you hit three out of 10 times.
0: Yeah. That is gruesome on the mindset. If you can figure that out, goodness.
1: And I, I think the cornerstone of any entrepreneur is the ability to, I think there are two types of risk takers. There are the risk takers that like don't calculate like the true downfall and the true negative side and then there are there are people that can embrace the risk and are certainly content with a decent amount of failure but are capable of of adjusting their gauge as they move and i, I think one of the things that has kept this ball rolling is sure i have a massive appetite for risk but it's a constantly adjusting risk offset. It's looking at what the true cost of the failure side of it is. And as long as, you know, as long as you're not all in, like the game keeps going. You can always recover as long as you don't bet the farm on something.
0: Right, um, yeah, <clears> hundred percent. <throat> I think that, that what you just described is what every elite entrepreneur was toggling back all, every single day. I, I've had two conversations already this morning one inside of one of my own businesses and another with another client of mine of we're pushing everything to the limits here. Like we're chips are all in, let's go.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And, but it takes those moments. And so I'm going to use that actually as a segue here because you obviously being a big risk taker, you've done those. And so I want to know about one of those moments where like you chips all in is a good decision. And looking back on it, it was like pivotable moment for you.
1: I would say really the big chips all in moment for me was when I quit my job my big cushy, right. comfortable corporate job at nine months because I was unhappy. Yeah. And it, that's really solely was it. Like I got a good paycheck. I, everything was stable. And I just, I, I didn't like the corporate culture. I, there was a lot about it that personally, just the sad thing is for me as a person, I'm either 150% all in or I'm zero. And yeah. I was, I'd been bumping along at zero. And I was like, you know what?
0: I'm really zero
1: she now. That's off the ledge. I'm out. <laughs> Yeah. And I think the, a lot of baseball players I know, when they lose their identity with baseball, this happens for a lot of people when they lose their identity in something, is they sure. become a lost soul. Yep. And for me, I was searching for risk in many unhealthy ways, looking. I would even say music was slightly a part of that because yeah, constantly putting on my marriage and family life in this strange place and yeah, probably drinking more than I should. And then I started this business and it was like, suddenly all of these things I'd been searching for landed in my lap. It was like, yeah, I'm home. Yeah. And I didn't have to go look for risk anymore. It was at my doorstep on a daily basis. I was going to say plenty, plenty of it. It it depends on
0: how big your appetite is every day. Yeah.
1: and Um, it it was obviously healthier. All of it was much healthier risk than I was searching for before.
0: Yeah. I want to dive into that a little bit. I was just having a conversation two days ago with a guy who, been business, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago originally and was super obsessed success and this, and that turned into alcohol addiction and turned ugly in a lot of different ways. And he's since been long sober, but he recently in the last year or so had been in that place of knowing that he had that obsession or that desire for risk and that like hunger, but that through the process of being, becoming sober, he had let that go like that, obsessive nature. And so we're having this conversation around, no, obsession isn't the wrong thing. It's just the usage of that talent on the wrong things. I would love to hear your perspective because that's the vein that we're in right now.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's true because like when I was all in on baseball, like I was obsessed with it. And I think another piece of being a successful entrepreneur is really being able to accept delayed gratification and also being able to make sacrifices and not only that sometimes those sacrifices can be bigger than most people are willing to make and I think for me when I lost baseball suddenly you kind of lose your bearing point you lose your lighthouse and it's how oh, I used to say it like I spent 10 years of my life trying to figure out what I was going to do next never thinking that I was going to be able to plug the gap from what baseball took from me. I don't want to say it took something from me. I think that period of 10 years you asked me, I had a bunch of salty open wounds at that point. But looking back on it now, it's just that was going to happen at some point, no matter when. It was just a matter of time. But I think I'm obsessed with what I do now. But I also, I think maybe the perspective is I've found anchor points in my life that keep me tucked in the stratosphere so that I'm not either 195% and just cleaving off the rest of my life in order to run this business. Or I think you, I think everybody talks about healthy balance. And for me, I think the healthy balance as a business owner is sure. I'm like, I spend an exorbitant amount of time working on my business, but I also have the control to do it on my time. I take my kids to camp. There's sometimes I don't get to work until 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning, shuttling my three kids around between their different activities and really just getting my time in with them in the morning. But I'm also guilty of turning around and staying here till one or two in the morning myself. (laughs) When I've got an objective I want to meet and it's because being obsessed, I'm going to work on it until I'm satisfied with a stopping point. So I I think my wife is, uh, is comfortable with my level of crazy. My kids understand it, and they're probably going to be just as crazy as I am. It's also understanding there are some dark edges to anything, especially if you're driven. There's easy ways to escape and it's it's understanding they get in the way. They always get in the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And we were just talking about this off air right before we got started. It's that Mm self-sabotage conversation, right? Where whether it's a substance in this example that I was giving you with a buddy or it's just not getting up when you said you were going to, or not going to the gym. I'm guilty of that sometimes, or staying up too late, working, knowing that I've got a 5.30 a.m. appointment with myself in the gym, and it's going to be really difficult to get there if I go to bed at one, even though I was being productive. It doesn't always have to be this. I'm making terrible choices. They can just maybe not be, I could be getting in my own way. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we're talking about.
1: I think that's, I think there's a certain extent of that built into like just human nature in general, where, i think that's the hard part of especially when you get with entrepreneurs and they have employees and you hear like a laundry list of problems or like excuses sure and those of us on the other side of it are like dude no excuses man we all have our little compartment of these Uh are my excuses that when stuff doesn't go the right way Uh uh-huh pull out that drawer let let me box here yeah i think that's maybe human nature to a certain extent and i think The difference is how you, how you have that conversation with yourself as if you're really going to accept this as an excuse, or if you're just using it to, to outwardly comfort yourself for other people. Yeah.
0: Yeah, It, we could probably do a whole show just on this. And I think for the listener here, let me just bring all this to, to a a summary point is that we're not perfect, that we're not called to be perfect as entrepreneurs, but I will tell you that when you're self-sabotaging typically. And in that moment, what you need is whether that's a swift kick in the butt or the person that's next to you that says, hey, dude, no excuses, or just muster up the strength to say no more, whatever it is, but there's just got to be that acknowledgement point and then action. And so that's the takeaway for the listener here, because you're listening to two guys right now that have very healthy businesses who are saying, not only have I done this and struggle with this, but even still this week, I'm sure that there were times where both of us were like, "I don't really,"
1: and then that voice, and you go, "Nope, uh uh-uh, nope, nope, nope. Get to it, champ." (laughs) Yeah, I think that's maybe the difference between internal and external motivation. Is I've built status checks where it's no, I can't do that. That, That's against what I'm, and I think for me, that's always been the key is mentally drawing the line where it's if you're committed, you do it.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And two, listening to guys like this. You and me right now talking about it. I don't know of a better way, especially when you're like in relationship with other high performers, and you know that I'm waking up today, crushing it, and holding to what I said. And I know that you're waking up today, doing the things that you said you were going to do. That that'll push you a whole nother level, because then now you've got now you've got a, a mutual respect for somebody who you're like I can't let them down. You'll let yourself down, but I, but you won't let
1: them down. So fine, put them in the equation. It's and so- also the other side of that too is I'm like ridiculously probably on the verge of unhealthily competitive yeah (laughs) it's knowing it well that fools up at 5 30 in the morning getting his workout on so he's at work by 6 30 or 7 o'clock you better
0: believe why can't
1: i i'm gonna be on that yeah
0: that's right that's right i love the energy there around the competitive spirit i think i think we all have it to a degree okay i want to know i want to flip the coin We've yep. talked about a good decision and that went into all kinds of good stuff, but tell me about a bad decision. Tell me something that happened and you were like, oof, give me mean, mean that story.
1: How long do I have as one of your <laughs> <friends?
0: Because laughs> We'll I, give you literally the rest of the show. It's the juiciest stuff that the listeners love, man, because we but, all do it.
1: And I was going to say, I, I think I would, here, I'll parlay this directly to the business. We had a really good first two and a half, almost three years. I put a bunch of money away and bought a building, like right around when COVID hit. And I'm sure you're thinking with COVID, oh, that, that was rough on a lot of businesses. And I'll be perfectly frank, we had the absolute opposite problem. Because we're a home services business, everybody went home and started working from home. So their honeydo list went off the chain, our phone rang off the hook. And the problem was, is we didn't have processes or really standardizations in place in order to capitalize on it. And of course, me thinking just leading by example and pushing my desire and will and everybody was like going to put us in the right spot we started throwing bodies at these problems like we're we're hiring left and right and i think i inflated us up to we had think, 25 employees at one point but the problem was the expenses climbed really high but our production output didn't really adjust that much and in the process with that it, like all entrepreneurs probably taking on more than I should. I threw health insurance programs at it. So like I suddenly turned the dial up on our expenses, like ridiculously without having the appropriate framework in place. And financial fallback from that was enough that it was like, that was the moment where you go from, you talk about having your chips all in and making a gambling risk decision on what could either win or lose. This was one of those things where, you know, the, what I didn't know side of entrepreneurialism and understanding the moving costs and the soft costs of everything that goes in suddenly we're halfway through the year. And like, it's like my balance sheets look like they are like bleeding red. Somebody is just, it's a slasher flick of red. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, what have I done? What have I done? We've spent the last year completely revamping all that from the hiring process all the way through to we're on the tail end of finishing our some of our training programs, simply that's a problem that I never yeah. ever want to have again. Yeah. Yeah. And just understanding like the whole systemization side of it is it's a massive undertaking. And if yeah. you start a business like I did, you know, shooting from the hip and it gets far enough along without those systems made. And you got to go back and start putting them together. It's a monumental undertaking to do it like while the business is moving.
0: Yeah. It's funny that you say almost those exact words of getting so far down the road and then having to go back. That's the story that I typically see. It's a story with me. It's a story with other guests that I've had where it it was the risk and the action and the energy that you brought to the table that got it to where it was, (laughs) which is the other side of that coin is, I don't know how to necessarily systemize this, yeah. <laughs> so it's a fairly natural progression. Where someone listening today, even if they're doing two or three hundred thousand, but the guys especially doing six, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand, they're feeling what you're feeling because you get to that six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred, right before that million dollar mark, and you don't have you're the system. Down. Yeah,
1: you're the keystone of that business. It means you're not taking any time off.
0: Literally, yeah. they're dying, like slowly on the inside. Nobody knows that. Everybody thinks they're doing great. And even the million dollar 1.5, that guy still is like dying slowly, is what you're what you basically just described as like this. Oh no, what did I do? And it's, and if we're being honest, that feeling, not necessarily of, oh my gosh, what did I do? Doesn't that's not that extreme, but the feeling of, I took this risk, let's see what happens. That doesn't go away. <laughs> um, but with the systems, I think, I that think you that's described. a motivator.
1: That's part of <laughs> the motive is that it's the void on the other side of that. Why I stop doing this, what am I going to do? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Go to work then. (laughs) Exactly. You got to get to it. A hundred percent. I'm in alignment with that. What? Okay. So you've just talked about systems and process. I want to know, do you have a process or maybe even a discipline around making decisions now?
1: Yeah. And this is probably not, I would love to say that I've got it down to a science. I, I am a hyper researcher. I think that's one of the hard parts for me is like every piece of this business, when it's become the forefront of the problem, let's say marketing, for instance, and we're in the process of transitioning our marketing now to update it and really supercharge it. So i spent the last two, three months literally reading everything I can understand about SEO and how to manage Google ads and how to Facebook advertising and the metric side of it and kind of understanding not so much how to game the algorithm, algorithms. And it's because I'm still going to, I'm going to outsource that. Um, Our business is small enough and and we don't have like a primary marketing person. And obviously it's a very important part of of any business, but I I have made that mistake of sitting down. I think part of being an entrepreneur with a lot of energy is like, I can be sold. I can be sold pretty easily. (laughs) Somebody comes in and they're exciting. And I'm like, so I have had to offset my own ability to want to like people and form relationships with people to make sure that I'm not getting sold on something because I don't understand it.
0: Sure. Sure. So the natural. So I'm hearing you say personality wise, the researcher piece is something that you've had to learn how to do. Yeah. Because naturally you're more of gut feeling. I like this person. Let me just do it. And you'll sell me
1: like, and the thing is 95% of the time, the salesperson that sells you is not the person doing the work for you. No, I've had to learn to offset like my, I love to meet people. And I love like, I'm also to a certain (laughs) extent, I've also had to learn how to manage being a people pleaser because like, I want things to go well. I want things to be awesome. And if I get into a situation and and I guard myself until I'm ready to get into making the decision, by the time I get to the table with somebody to sit down and talk to them, I have my weapons at the ready because I understand it at least enough not to shoot myself in the foot because I just like (laughs) you.
0: Yeah. What you just described to me, and tell me if I'm hearing you, is that you went from just a buyer to an educated buyer. And I think a lot of people, aka just the formation of the last 20 years of the internet have also done that. I think that our buyers today are more educated for this exact reason, which is why I think authenticity and just being genuine and not the old like sales tactics things are what actually works because like you said, you come in like a storm, even though it's a fun, energetic, fun little circus show, I want to be educated on what this actually is going to do for my business. So I think that those things um, are super helpful for the person listening Did you have, did you, was there a bad experience that got you there? What was the moment?
1: That's another key to entrepreneurialism is you shoot yourself in the foot. You better not make that mistake ever again. I got two feet. For me, like I carry those things. Those are my battle scars. I put our entire company through the hiring for attitude platform because I hired somebody that I knew that actually had a decent track record and there were red flags all along the way that I I totally just didn't pay attention to because I had a, a little bit of a history with this guy and basically yeah. just, they called me because they were like tanking at their other job. Not once did the light bulb go off my head. Hey, wh- why are you taking the other job? And so I wound up bringing in somebody and putting them in a pretty significant position and just torching money on them thinking like I put the right person in the right spot and I I didn't do any due diligence to get them in there. And I've done the same thing with, you know, software. I'm a huge computer nerd and construction is like anti-computer, anti-software. The metrics drive every business and understanding how they all connect and how they work. But I've been sold by some snake oil softwares because at the time I knew that I wanted... That piece of it, I couldn't figure out why or the under interconnected pieces, without me understanding enough about it to put all the pieces together. I'm like, yeah, that solves my problem right now. And then I get yep. it. And I'm like, gosh darn it. Oh, I do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've made that mistake more often than I'd like to admit. But I think that's a part of the gig. Is every entrepreneur is going to make a thousand mistakes? I think everybody's journey is a little bit different in that regard. But I carry those scars with me and (laughs) I refuse to make those mistakes again.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. I think that the buying process can be gruesome, but I think you gave an easy solution there. Just become educated. Not so you didn't, I didn't hear you say over educate or analysis paralysis, or I heard you say inform yourself so you can make a good decision.
1: Yeah. And maybe there may be at one point when I was starting that journey that I would get paralysis by analysis, but typically By the time I get into it, I know I need it, you know, whatever it is, whether it's if I'm bringing a Facebook, Instagram marketing team to the table or a guy that's doing my website, I didn't need to necessarily know like the actual, you know, how they're going to code the website. Sure. I just need to understand that when he started spitting out technical jargon to me that I didn't glaze over or I mean that I could have a realistic conversation. And not only that, I think the key to that too, is understanding on my end what I want the result to be and understanding what that looks like at the tail end. And when they talk about how they get there, it's me making sure that I'm hearing what I want to hear in order for them to get there.
0: And so then Um, you can make sure that it happens.
1: Correct. Yeah. I think that's the flip side of it too, is sure. I know this sort sort of thing solves a problem. If I don't understand how to get from point A to point B, at least from the 10,000 foot level and maybe slightly lower if it's a little technical, then I can't necessarily assure that they're going to get there because I can't help manage it along the way or ask them questions as to why something is looking, looks the way it does along the way.
0: Yeah. You're blindly giving money, hoping that they solve your problem, And the reality of it is that you need to solve it, but just through their expertise, still got to be the one that owns the business.
1: And I think, I think that's a battle with The entrepreneurial journey is, I'll readily admit, to a certain extent, I'm probably a control freak. Part of that is because I know if I do it, I'm going to do it the way I want it done. I like Mm -hmm. it. And I think the next round of that is, is learning and honing the skill of being able to transfer what you want done appropriately. One of the books that I lean on a lot for that is The Extreme Ownership, the Jocko Willink I love that book because there's a section in there that talks about understanding and it's making sure, sure. You you can lay out all these directives and all these systems. Number one, if your team doesn't understand the why, then they're not going to buy in. And if you can't get your team to buy in, you're never going to get the result that you want without doing it yourself.
0: Yeah. Um, And then they get caught if you're doing it like, Either realize that they because they're not communicating, I'll just do it myself, and then now they're stuck doing it themselves again, and the cycle perpetuates. All right, you've given us some incredible information. I want to get some more detail from you from the speed round here. Cool. A little bit different angled questions here. I want you to dwindle your entire business down to one trackable metric. What is it, Robert?
1: <laughs> Cash in, money coming <laughs> in. How much? Are really? I guess that's a lie. How much we sold?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Sales. sales.
0: Yeah. You got to have the end sales. Of the day,
1: every business is driven by sales.
0: That's right. You just gave a book recommendation of extreme ownership. I love that book. Anything else specific for a six figure business owner? I think that's a great recommendation, but give you another opportunity here to recommend another one.
1: I got a laundry list of ones that I love. Really a lot of the Jocko Willink's stuff I've really leaned into. For me, it's been more, I love the hiring for attitude that management IQ that, that whole platform that he's got, I really like because it's systemized enough that, that it's a little bit, it's easier to implement. Yeah. I think a lot of these books are great, except for sometimes it's hard to go from theory to practice.
0: Yes. Yeah. So it's, because for, it's fun to read theory.
1: Yeah. And I, Makes you feel good. <laughs> I like practice, practical, being able to implement it becomes a whole lot more useful. And there are thousands of self-help books with theory. It's the ones that practice are the ones that I wind up being like, yeah, like the e-myth. I felt that was another one that I was like, yeah. Yep. And it's short yep. and it's easy and understanding systems. Key to this. Key to this. That's whole right.
0: Thing. That's right. I, your, your personality is shining through with just the practical piece of it, which I think is relatable to entrepreneurs because we're problem solvers. That's what we look at it. We go, okay, how do we fix it? Now we might have different ways of fixing it, but from a, that's what an entrepreneur is, right? Like that at the core of who we are, we're problem problem solvers. solvers. Yeah. True. What, or or I guess the question is, what value do you have or do you find, but do you intentionally network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs? And then what value do you find in doing that?
1: Oh, always. My business is like a little core vein inside of a large construction industry. I've got several contacts that are either running successful General contracting businesses, or like one of my closest confidants is running, we took over his dad's commercial contracting business and they've been successful for a while and he's driven it into a, a new era. They are always, they're my first call because either he's my friend that owns the commercial contracting business has either revamp the system that he took over from his father, or he's he's dealt with these things before I have. And I ask him first, and then I run it down the line two or three times. And if I get two or three of similar answers, it's great. Then I'm making the right decision, or I'm heading down the wrong path.
0: Yeah, no, it's good what you're describing, like an advisory board to have that pinging of ideas or <clears throat> just making sure, hey, I'm on the right track here. Yeah, but Those- you
1: always got to have people that you can, that, that you can, without risk of giving away like major core pieces of your business, whether they're outside of your market and in the same business or they're in your market, not a direct competitor, like being able to have confidence that, you know, not only that, that you can, I can throw like, my concerns, my worries off the wall too. And be like, I don't really know how to track this certain metric in my business, or I don't understand what it means. I don't know why it's moving like this. Do you deal with something like this? And more times than not, they've either got a direction for me to go or somebody else to ask, which is nice.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That connection piece that you just mentioned there has been huge for me as well. Okay. Last question. You ready? If you lost it all, what would you do?
1: probably start over and do the same thing. (laughs) Give me a hammer and a nail and I'll figure it out. out. Yeah. I think that has been the joy of this whole journey is, you know, I think that's a risk as an entrepreneur that occasionally you could wind up in that situation where like, oh, want to or not, you lose it all. I do feel comfortable enough that if I had to start from scratch, I probably would stick with home services. I think that's something you can do and do really well, even if you're by yourself. Yeah, And just remain by yourself. That's how your business goes, which is great. But I also think there's a whole lot of people in this industry that are doing it wrong. Yeah, You'd probably say that in every industry, but at least I know yeah. like very deeply that most people don't run it as a business. They show up and manage the whole thing simply by what their bank account says. And they get a job and they don't market until they get to the end of the job and get to the next one or don't communicate with customers that there are a lot of opportunities everywhere you look. And it's simply a matter of, at the end of the day, it's putting your nose to the grindstone and getting it done.
0: Yeah. I love the, the added, just a ad, just advice there. Cause you're hundred percent right. The 80, 20 rule. And probably in home services, it's probably like
1: 95, five. I mean, first year in business, course. I heard this a million times on the phone. You guys are the only ones that answer your phone. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. if that's all we got to do for this thing to run. Yeah. I think I'm figuring it out.
0: You're a hundred percent. I had a job in my twenties and it an adver- we were selling advertising and a lot of our contractors or a lot of our customers were contractors. And I thought the same thing as a 21 year old, I would hang up the phone and be like, if that guy, cause hello, or no answer at all. I, as a 21 year old, I'm like, yeah. if that guy right there can do even the little bit that I know that he's doing, I'm going to crush this thing. Just answer the phone, be professional say your company name, ask
1: me for an appointment. (laughs) Yeah, and that puts you like in the top 20% of, especially outside of like general contracting, go into specialty contracting of some sort, whether in framing or like drywall, painting, cleaning, pressure washing, like just answering the phone, wearing uniform, being polite, and following up with emails or sending an estimate via paper and not like handwritten and at the end of the day, showing up in your sweaty clothes and your slides, you know, I think that initially is what set us apart was just that like we could adult. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which is funny because it ties it all back to how you originally started this, which was that that I, when I had that, that maturing realization that this is what it was. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much actually, but it takes the few key things it even goes back to the disciplines we talked about. Everybody knows what to do, quote unquote, but just nobody does it because it's just easy enough.
1: Difficult. It's where it's to difficult. It the way you're supposed to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. This, is, this interview has been just incredible. You've given just an amazing amount of value. How can the listener get connected to you, Robert?
1: Holycitygutterworks.com is our website. Find me on LinkedIn. You can find me through. I have all of our contact everywhere set up. If somebody contacts us through the website, it goes to me and everyone else my email is robert at holycitygotoworks.com call the business and we've got one of those dial by number things you can reach out to me that way i i love i think you and i are similar in regards to i think another key to being an entrepreneur is i like to help yeah without anything in return i think i've had people on the way grab me and pull me up so if, yeah. if somebody has questions and they want to ask more please reach out email me that's probably the best way to get a hold of me as most entrepreneurs I, I can pile it on but um Email Robert at holycitygotterworks.com. You can go through the website info at holycitygotoworks.com You can yeah. email everybody in the company. <laughs> you, you're, if you, if want, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> go um, get lunch. Cut that out, so I'm not getting spam from everybody. <laughs> but yeah, no.
0: You know. In all seriousness, you've been incredible. The ones that that resonate, the ones that want the help, the ones that want to pick your brain, whatever, they'll reach out. The ones that that don't never do. So you've been incredible. We wish you absolutely nothing, but all the success in the world and blessing on your business, your family, all of that. So thank you for being here.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself What I have realized not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight, and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings specifically who are grateful but not done. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1000 Kings. Talk soon.